He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munsons. Want to give them a wide berth. What is called a born loser? A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in their worlds. But we will start with James. Guys, I'm back. I'm glad you uh, held down the fort without me. Uh, I promise I'll stop getting married. <laughs> um, <laughs> Craig, I appreciated you checking the transfer portal for me. Uh, that made me laugh. Uh, and Rigby, I was thoroughly impressed with your trivia facts. Learn from the best, man. Yeah, it put me on edge a little bit. I felt like I might get Wally pipped, so I had to come back immediately. Case. Glad James is back. Glad uh, we avoided a transfer to a different podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, excited to have a guest Munson back on the episode. Rigby. It was extremely weird weather in Iowa this week. It was in the 80s, which in April is bizarre. Nice to enjoy that with summer right around the corner. I watched the train wreck, some of the train wreck that were the Academy Awards. And as I saw on Twitter and I sent to the group, nothing more telling than having a airing a train wreck in a train station, which they aired at LA's Union Station. So <laughs> it, was, uh, it was tough to watch. And I kind of feel bad because Steven Soderbergh is one of my favorite directors and he was kind of the brains behind the operation. So... Not one of his better nights, but I'm sure they'll learn from it and move on. Yeah, I don't think he's winning any Emmys for that production. Nope. And welcome back, James. Congrats again on getting married. Thank you. Warren. Yeah, not too much here. Waiting for the school year to kind of wind down, and that's really about it. But I did see a, a funny comment about the Oscars. Not really funny, but pretty pretty harsh in the sense that they decided to clear out all of Central Station, uh, clear it out of all their homeless people, so a movie about a homeless person could win the Oscar. Accurate. <laughs> Very ironic. Not a great look from top to bottom for the Oscars this year. Maybe they'll learn going into next year. In my world, as you can probably tell if you're listening, I don't have my best voice. I went to the Orioles athletics game on Friday night, so this was five, six days ago at this point, I was in my Tigers jersey yelling at anyone on the field that I could, and um, I'm apparently too old for that, and I'm still trying to get my voice back. Beyond that, happy to welcome back one of our favorite guests, Laura Benneke is here. She was here last time for our Gary Cole episode. Um, For those that don't know her and did not listen to the Gary Cole episode, she's a film nerd who loves Star Wars, The Bears. Sword fighting, gardening, and animals. She's also a SAG actor and stunt woman. For a brief time, she worked in casting. She's a proud mom of three strong and gorgeous daughters and works a day job at a big bank. Welcome back, Laura. We're happy to have you. Hey, thank you. Glad to be back. As the uh, the resident Chicagoan of the of the group here, we'll be, we're happy to have you to talk about another human who is very, very much a fan of the Chicago world. So we'll get into that here shortly. But before we do that, birthdays, May 6th. What do we got, Warren? We just got one today. Uh, I didn't really feel like saying, figuring out how old Orson Welles was. Um, it would have <laughs> been his birthday. 
if he had died, I don't know, 50 years ago? I don't know. Yeah, my guess, it could have been 200 years ago. I have no idea how old that man is. <laughs> yeah, Rosebud. It was a sled. Spoiler. <laughs> First off for George Clooney. Uh, movies, The Oceans. He was Dr. Doug Ross in ER, The Descendants no, Up in the Air, Doug Ross. Michael Clayton, and Batman and Robin. Yes, he was Dr. Doug Ross. Shout out to Doug Ross, eh? Shout out to, yeah, yeah the big DA. Dougie Fresh. How old is George Clooney? Clooney. 63. I'm going to be honest here. I actually read an article about him uh, a few days ago where he named his age, so I know what it is. You should abstain. Look at the integrity of Mr. Rigby. Yeah, seriously. Uh, I'm sitting this like, one out. Respecter himself. More like Thank Mr. You. Rogers over here. Abstaining <laughs> and Setting the down. standard for the rest of us. I'll let you reveal the answer at the end. Okay. I guess 63. Give me 67. 60. 59. I'm going to go young just to flatter him. Rigby? Kyle, you are on the money. Ah! Wow. George Clooney is turning 60 on May 6th. Ah. Uh, Let's go get the lottery tickets. Luck is luck has struck me, boys. Did he start acting at 15? <laughs> Pretty close. It was early. Yeah. Good grief. He was in some very, very early movies. But yeah, aside from him, not really that many people except for uh, happy 30th birthday, Jose Altuve, Yankee killer. <laughs> <laughs> is that that little what? dude who cheats all the time? <laughs> very short. Five actors that we threw under the wheel. Those five were James McAvoy, Lake Bell, Timothy Oliphant, a.k.a. Josh DeMall. Mm-hmm. They're like a duo, you know, the package deal. Alfred <laughs> Woodard or Bonnie Hunt and the wheel. Thus has selected Bonnie Hunt. Bonnie's got about 56 credits to her name. Comparatively, some of the others we've covered. She's been around for a while. Not as busy as some of the others. But as you'll note, she she's done a lot of voice work in the past 15 years, which we'll get into. Kyle, have you done any voice work recently? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I probably shouldn't do this voice work. But this is the little amount of, you're going to get from me. He was on at the beginning of a Ricola commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I, God, I would die for a Ricola right now. Let's go. We'll start with a little trivia. So we do two truths and a lie, and one of the lies is going to be a fact about a cast member from Fast and Furious, and the other two facts I bring up are actually going to be facts about Bonnie Hunt. First fact, she's been to every Chicago Cubs opening day game since 1977. Second fact, at the age of 15, she witnessed her mother shoot her father as an act of self-defense. Third fact believes that divine intervention postponed the start of her acting career. Mm. I'm going to go three is the lie. And I think that is Jason Statham. The lie is actually about Eva Mendez, who played U.S. Customs agent Monica Fuentes. And the lie is two because she was in Too Fast, Too Furious. She was. Very memorable. The lie is two. I'm also going to say number two, but that was actually Maria Sandoval, the hairstylist <laughs> on the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. You know, had to deal with some murder at a young age. I'm going to go with number two as well, but that was actually James Remar, and that was his inspiration for doing Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to let you guys know that when I heard Rigby last week use Charlize Theron, I got upset in my stomach because I had been saving her for so long 
because her life is fucking insane. When he did her, I used her last week. I was like, no, all right, I got to use a Charlie Theron fact. You guys all mostly guessed it. It's, it's fact number two is the lie. Um, and that's actually about Charlize Theron. Uh, yeah. Jesus. Charlize Theron uh, witnessed her mom shoot her father dead right there. Act of self-defense. Crazy. I, I, I didn't want to skip down. Like, I felt like that deserved the attention it got. So I wanted to bring that up. But yeah, she has had a wild life. But to Bonnie Hunt, it's pretty easy to figure out the Chicago Cubs one. She is very much from Chicago. Uh, her entire life, uh, she grew up there. And so a lot of the facts we'll give you later will be about that. But she grew up at, uh, in an apartment with six siblings and her parents right outside of Wrigley. So big family, yeah. tight area, diehard Cubs fan. And fact number three is also true, where she believes that divine intervention postponed the start of her acting career. So her father desperately wanted her to be a nurse, and she went to nursing school, and she was working as a nurse, and her father died suddenly of a heart attack, and she just wanted to quit. And her mother asked her to at least finish out like the work week. She's so funny. And one of her patients saw her sense of humor and then saw it leave, obviously, when her father passed away and started making like morbid jokes to her, and she got in a better mood. And the guy said, uh, he like tried to inspire her and he said, well, you know, I feel lucky to have cancer. And the quote here is, I'm Irish and there's a lot we don't say to our families. We're kind of stoic. But now I've been able to tell my boys how much I love them. And then he said, I had a friend who died really suddenly and he'd always talk about his kids as his greatest accomplishment. But unfortunately, he didn't get to say goodbye. And I am getting that opportunity. She found out that that guy worked with her dad and that guy was talking about her father. And after that, she's like, oh, wow, damn. Of all the patients I could have got, shit. She's like, I thought that was my dad up in heaven being like, I really wanted you to be a nurse. And because she really wanted to go to Hollywood and pursue her dreams, she hit the pause button for a few years because of it. And it wasn't until a different patient essentially said, uh, the biggest regret that in my life is I feared failure. I want you to look me in the eyes, take my hand, and tell me that when I pass away, because she only looked over cancer patients, that you'll go to Hollywood and fail as many times as possible. And she was like, all right, that's enough. That's closure for me. And that's when she started not only working in her improv group, but she actually started going to auditions. Wild, man. Absolutely smallest world. And I could understand if you grew up in like a big religious family where if you heard that, you'd be like, oh, man. All right. I think I got to stay for a little bit and see what's going on here. Well, we'll dig more into that here in a couple minutes. But before that... Let's talk a little bit about her snapshot and box office history. Case. As shocked as I was about uh, our last episode, Chris Rock's low box office numbers, I'm equally as shocked at Bonnie Hunt's massive box office numbers. Dude, I knew it. It's all Pixar. These are big names. Strength of her box office snapshot comes down to she's in massive budgeted movies, massive money-making movies, and massive critic and fan-ranking movies. And most of them are animated. Family movies, too, like Beethoven and all that. I mean, those are cheaper by the dozen. Just yeah. in itself, yeah. Here's just some of the insane numbers that where she ranks against the other 34 performers we have. Her average film budget is third. Her largest film budget is 11th. Her highest opening film is 11th. Her highest U.S. gross is fifth. Her highest world gross is seventh. Different movies. Her highest profited movie is sixth. Biggest return on investment is eighth. International box office is 12th. And fan ranking is eighth. I mean, those numbers are insane. So where is she like a star meter compared to everybody else? 
She's 17th. Right in the middle. That's shocking, too. Yeah, I agree. The people that love Bonnie Hunt seem to really love her. She seems to be very popular amongst the, the in crowd, from what I, I could tell. But if you watch any interviews, you know why people love her. She's, oh, she, she's yeah, so an cool. incredibly lovable character in person. Yeah, very authentic. When we were told that we were doing her, that was, that's kind of the first thing that came to mind, is that she's just such like a, she's got like a real like warm presence about her. I know we're going to get to it, but she has so many different venues and being an actor, a comedian, a director, producer, television host, you know, voiceover work. She even did some work during COVID. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's so flexible. She can work in almost any medium. We're, so, we're uh, pushing out all of the great sound bites early on. We haven't even talked about <laughs> anything she's done. This is great. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah, man. James did a great job highlighting a lot of the stuff that I would have. So I'm just going to pick right up with at about the age of 23 is when she founded her improv comedy troupe called An Impulsive Thing in Chicago. Her first ever role was on American Playhouse from in 1984. How long of a, of a shelf life did An Impulsive Thing have in, in the Chicago area? I don't know. I know she co-founded it in 84. Then she was with Second City in 87 working on the pilot with Mike Myers. So Mm -hmm. I don't think it was too long, but I know they were performing at Bob's Bar in Wrigleyville, which can you imagine all the drunk people, you know, (laughs) after the games and there you are performing, you know, improv. So I think it was a three woman troupe. It was all women. You know, they were getting hit on the whole time. They were trying to perform. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just think that's amazing in itself before you go any further. Yeah. That's pretty badass. Yeah, it is. Just a bunch of dr- drunk assholes going, go Cubs, go, and Cubs, yep. yeah. Cubs, woo, that, Cubs That's woo. a tough crowd. <laughs> yes, that's really cool. Laura did my job for me, which is much appreciated. And that's, you know, she starts working with Second City in 86. And I mean, listen to this name of other alumni that also performed there. Bill Murray, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Ryan Stiles, Colin Mockery. Steve Carell, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Chris Farley, Stephen Colbert. I mean, she's part of a pretty good lineage of of comics that worked on the improv side. Yeah, that's an unbelievable list. I'll tell you, too, that intimidated the hell out of me. I always wanted to do Second City, but it, it intimidated me so badly that I had to fly all the way across the country and go to the Groundlings. <laughs> <laughs> I, I perform with the Groundlings in California being a Chicago girl because I was scared, you know, because these people at Second City, they were like the best. Yeah, I mean, Groundlings are still awesome, too. They were, but not. I still think Second City blows them out of the water. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, we get it. Insane. You were JD, their varsity. We get it, Laura. Mm-hmm. We totally understand. I'd be nervous too. Though. Those are absolute <laughs> legends of the game. Literally, like Ryan Styles and Colin Mockery are like top in their improv game. Like, mm-hmm. Those guys are unbelievable. Yeah, I get nervous going to comedy shows as, a, as someone watching the comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say if you were watching improv comedy in the mid to late 80s in Chicago, you were seeing some fantastic shows, 100%. We spent a lot of time talking about this because. As you learn more about Bonnie Hunt, her improv background is fundamental to who she is as a performer. Mm -hmm. We'll give our opinions on how much of that she showcases in her roles throughout the years, especially on film. But sneak peek in mind, I don't think she does enough of it. But the little times when you do see it, you can tell that she comes from that background. And she can go toe-to-toe with anyone in an improv environment in interviews. She's fantastic. So 
1988, she does her first movie, a TV movie called 110 Lombard. Apparently also at this time, she was getting some looks to do SNL. I heard Lorne offered her SNL, and she was seriously considering it. But then she said, if a sketch isn't going well, can I improvise at the, you know, towards the end? Because mm. God knows you need to sometimes if it's bombing. And he said, absolutely not. And then she turned it down. Boo. Damn. She had it. She had it on a silver platter and uh, wow. turned it down. I like to think about how different her life would have been if she took it. Seriously. Yeah, way more comedic roles, I guess. Yeah, I feel hmm. like it would be more mainstream. I don't know. And she would be doing a lot more with that with that troupe. But also, you hear just how beat up yeah. uh, the women were on SNL at that time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You'd hope she would have been able to stay, steer clear of all the drugs there and, you know, everything else. Yeah. So hmm. it's, a, it's a good decision, I think. That's a good point. What kind of talent pool does he have where you see someone like that and he's like, no, not for us. Now he begged for her to be on that show. Hey, do you want me to save your skits if they're bombing? Nah, just stick to the script. We're good. <laughs> like, no, no, we, we're going down in flames. Yeah. <laughs> this money machine's going to keep rolling. I don't need you yeah. to save shit. Oh, don't worry about it. Jimmy Fallon will start laughing and it'll fuck it all up anyway. <laughs> I know it's different times. Very real. I know it's That's different very times. Real. Same year, 88, she is in Rain Man as Sally Dibbs. It's a very small role. She has a full name because of the context of the scene that she's in. Yeah, she's a waitress, right? Yes. It's the scene where Tom Cruise realizes how much of a savant Dustin Hoffman is, and that's yeah. because... He has memorized her phone number in the phone book, so that's why she's Sally Dibbs, not just Sally the waitress. It's a small role, but significant for that story. Well, and talk about intimidating. Your first scene in a big screen movie is with Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise, who are yeah. giants in film at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's that's got to be pretty intimidating, so that's pretty impressive. Well, first feature film, the first major one we're going to talk about for a role from her is her uh, role in Beethoven in 92. and. James is going to talk about it. We have a firm rule in my household that we don't watch any dog movies, no matter what, no matter how good it looks, no matter what the preview (laughs) looks like. And the reason is because every dog movie has the same plot. It's part one, in this dog such a little rascal. Part two, well, he's dead now, and I hope you feel bad about it. And I can't do it. It makes me depressed. I don't want to see dogs die. And... I legit went online. I was like, movies where dogs die. And the first thing that pops up is, do you mean does the dog die.com? I was like, of course that's what I mean. And there's a <laughs> website that just, it, it says like a header. It says, uh, every movie's a horror movie for dogs. <laughs> and it has all these movies where dogs die. And let me tell you, it's the majority of movies. I have a list of 51 here. I won't read through them. But this is why we don't watch dog movies in my house. So when I got assigned to Beethoven, I legit didn't know if Beethoven died in this movie. I was like, I forget because I've already been broken by all these dead dogs. Then I realized that they made five of him. So spoiler alert, <laughs> Beethoven's movie. So none of you are going to be triggered like I would be. So you guys There's a lot of reproduction, in fact. There's so many more Beethoven movies. The plot of Beethoven, which... I absolutely didn't remember at all. I thought it was like, oh, it's a, it's a dog that's a rascal. That's literally all I thought. But it's actually, 
He escapes from Dognappers, played by Oliver Platt and Stanley Tucci. Very oh, young great. actor. It's unbelievable that, that they're in those roles. And he is like a cartoonishly adorable, perfect dog. Like when you see him, he's like, that's the cutest puppy I've ever seen. Uh, but he gets out, hops into an unsuspecting family's home. Bonnie Hunt is the mother of the household. And they skip over the critical developmental time where it turns from a puppy to a grown dog. And then all of a sudden they're like, God damn it, Beethoven. And I think this movie serves as a reminder, bad dogs aren't born, they're raised. If you set no guidelines uh, for how a dog should behave, then I don't feel sorry for you when that dog eats your shoes or tracks mud in the house or becomes some part of a plot of an evil veterinarian that's trying to do animal experiments. Like, that's on you. You as the parent are the one that caused that issue. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad Beethoven lives and wreaks hell for that family for the rest of time. Uh, they deserve what they get. They didn't raise him properly. They shouldn't yell at him. And he saves their daughter at one point. So, like, it's, a, it's an incredibly smart dog. He didn't train. Mm -hmm. Other things I was shocked by is David Duchovny's in this movie. Yeah. Looking like a snack. This is prime Duchovny because I think he started X-Files, like, a few years later. And so this was, like, the last role he had before he was, like, Main Street. A star. Yes, yeah. movie star. Joins her for another movie in a couple years, too. Yeah. With Beethoven, if you guys haven't watched in a while... It's still an enjoyable kids movie. Like, it's stupid, but it's the fun, stupid, and it's got just enough in there. Like, I think for a little kid, it's great. For an adult, you're not going to find it that funny. I think it would be great, like, heartwarming family movie. So I enjoyed it. It's just definitely not for me. And it's funny to see the amount of stars that was in this movie. For Bonnie Hunt, this is where her sort of, she found her... Uh, Groove? Yeah, I mean, she's Charles Grodin plays the dad in the movie, and he's neurotic and doesn't want Beethoven from like the get go. And she's the sympathetic wife who's understanding that there's going to be some growing pains with the dog, and that she thinks it's good for the family. They're good at contrasting each other in that way. And I love Charles Grodin; I think he's hilarious, and his he's really good in this. and And so is Bonnie Hunt. And the villains you mentioned, Oliver Platt and and Stanley Tucci. They're like a poor man's like Harry and Marv from, yeah, I agree. Uh, from Home Alone. I mean, that might be Stanley Tucci's first role that I can even remember. The villains make the movie, they take it in like a dark way because you mentioned how they want to they use him for like an animal experiment. Um, but yeah, I like I liked Beethoven a lot and I hadn't seen it in years either. And I rewatched it for the podcast and, and I'm glad I did because obviously leading into my next movie, which is Beethoven 2. <laughs> That was kind of important to see the first one. So I'm glad yeah, you, you want to know where the plot's going, the character development, yep. you know, the slow burn of the Beethoven universe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> For that one and Cheaper by the Dozen, she's like kind of like the straight comedic actor to yep. the crazy comedic. So it's, you know, she's Dean Martin to, you know, the Jerry Lewis and uh, mm -hmm. or Abbott and Costello. So it's a nice compliment to each other's comedic styles. People always tease her about never work with animals and children, but it's work for her, right? She's made a good amount of money off it. First feature film, 92. We will hit lowest critic score here in a year, but before that, a couple other projects to note. She was in a five-episode series called The Building that she starred in and produced alongside David Letterman, which you can find on YouTube. I thought I read somewhere that she was the first female to ever create, write, and produce a TV show. Right. I saw that as well, but I couldn't verify it. Yeah, that's right. That's unbelievable. Pretty impressive. That's impressive. And also made a small appearance in the movie Dave as a White House tour guide. I don't really remember her much in Dave, but that's Dave's a really good movie. I agree. I like Dave. 
if I love her, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. Like she says that like while they're going through the tour. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, maybe it's a Chicago thing, but people say it all the time here. <laughs> like they're walking through a restaurant and they're like, we're walking, we're walking. That's good. That's good to know. Our lowest critic score is 93. Rigby alluded to it earlier. It is the second Beethoven. And is it better than the first? We'll see. In the world of sequels, what do you got, Riggs? It's not better than the first, but I don't think it's as bad as the critics said. I mean, this is like a 23 on Rotten Tomatoes. And again, it's just a cute family movie. Beethoven falls in love in this one. Ooh. He meets a fellow female, St. Bernard, who is owned by Kevin Dunn, who is going through a custody battle with his evil ex-wife. And his ex-wife... His ex-wife claims that she has custody over, over Beethoven's love interest. The movie is kind of similar to the first one in that Beethoven and Missy, who's the female St. Bernard, they're both being threatened by some by some evil characters. Debbie Mazar is awesome in this movie. She's the main villain. Mm -hmm. she, she plays Regina. Also, Chris Penn is like her lackey who basically does whatever she wants. I mean, she's like a raging bitch in this movie, but she's awesome mm -hmm. because that is what the movie needs. I don't know. She's just a really good villain. Mm-hmm. It's got a cute ending. No dogs were killed or harmed in the movie, which is good. I always like to, I always like to report. That. I could check on doesthedogdie.com. This is true. <laughs> I would say if I was like a young kid, I mean, I remember watching both of these when I was a kid, and I was definitely more scared of the first one because that one is much more dark and sinister. I think. Again, Bonnie Hunt's similar role. I mean, why would she not do this movie? The first one made buckets load of money, and this one did as well. I think it was almost 120 million off like a 20 million dollar mm. budget. So they were both cash cows, both of these. It's a cute movie. It's it's 89 minutes. It's easy to watch. I have no qualms about this movie at all. I was a pretty lucky, it was a pretty fortunate one to get for the lowest critic score because I didn't think it was bad at all and I don't really see why the critics didn't like it. It's no Citizen Kane, but it's not a piece mm -hmm. of shit either. So uh, but the critics also hated the first one, so they're like they gave it a very similar score. I think it was 30 to 23. So it's yeah, like, yeah. it's about a rascally dog. And then it's like, yeah, it made $100 million. It's like, it's about a rascally dog again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If you watch it knowing sort of what you're getting into, I think you can kind of cast that aside, yeah. which I did. Mm -hmm. So it's cute, man. When Beethoven meets Missy for the first time, man, I got a little dirt in my eye. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be lying to you there. <laughs> yeah. It's something about dogs and movies. I agree with James. I try my best to avoid them, but when I do, I usually enjoy them. If they live. If they live, <laughs> yes. Because it's the adverse if they don't. It's like, oh, great. I wanted to cool. I'm watching a movie where I'm sobbing. Exactly. That's what I wanted. <laughs> Crying tears of joy. The dog's alive at the end. <laughs> oh, my God. We don't have another category for another 11 years. 12 years, I guess, technically. So we'll hit some of the highlights. So she's coming straight out of Beethoven's. She's in her element. She's carving out a really successful career. So in 94, she's alongside Marissa Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. in Only You. She plays Kate basically the sidekick to Marissa Tomei's irrational character, but very much in the same bag of what you've seen her as kind of like the steady presence, funny lines here and there. So subtle comedy, but more of a dramatic type of role. I thought this movie was good. It's like a through and through hundred percent committed romantic comedy, mm -hmm. kind of like a fantasy where it's, someone looking for lost love based on destiny and they're in the hills of Italy. It, it's enjoyable when you kind of just accept that that's what it is. And I think she's great. In it. Yep. Uh, I think her and Marissa Tomei play really well off of each other. Yep. I love this movie. I, I wish it had gotten better rating. 
I think it's a sleeper. People don't realize how good it was. Mm-hmm. My wife loves this movie. And uh, when we first watched it, and for some reason, my wife has only seen movies between like 1984 and 1987. And <laughs> <laughs> she's a big platoon fan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it is so unique, the movies that are like, that things that she's seen, and then it's every romantic comedy. I enjoyed it. I, uh, young Robert Downey Jr. I don't know who the Italian actor is that flirts with oh. uh, Bonnie Hunt the whole time, but I thought he was great in his role as well. Follows that up in 95 with one of probably her most famous role. I mean, maybe that's contentious, but I don't know if it is. As Sarah Whittle in Jumanji. I was obsessed with Jumanji when I was a kid. I loved this movie. The movie was terrifying the first time I saw it. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> Again, going back to like the PG was different back then. <laughs> yeah. Like people are dying. There's a guy hunting them. Like it gets serious. Great game too. <laughs> when we were kids. In this role, she really was a lot more expressive and her tone and everything was not over the top. But I mean, it's the most range I think I've seen her. It, she still was kind of playing yeah. a calm. But then when they started pulling the game out, you know, and she was kind of flipping out. That was mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. It was a good scene. When they show up at her doorstep and he says, yeah. Sarah Whittle, you played a game <laughs> with a young boy when however many years ago and you see her like losing her mind when she sees the game. 100%. Yeah. And again, she's holding her own with another scene-stealing actor. Like yep. Robin Williams is the scene-stealing actor and she's doing great playing off of him. So 96, she's in Getting Away with Murder alongside Dan Aykroyd. And then follows it up with her role as Laurel in Jerry Maguire. This is the role I remember her most for. I would say that too. Top three for me, definitely. Yeah, I love this one. I thought this was one of her best roles, how she was so protective. The character was so protective of her sister and nephew. Yeah. She had such great like little zingers. You know, She's like dropping yep. off your laundry, Jerry. You know, like, <laughs> yep. She's just giving it to him. I thought it was great. Yeah, uh, big fan. Like you mentioned, she's she's wisecracking in it for sure. She's uh, Dorothy's sister in the movie who's played by Renee Zellweger. And she's extremely skeptical of her sister being in love with, like you mentioned, sort of this cocky jerk, Jerry Maguire, who has this epiphany in the movie. And she doesn't really see the point of what her sister's doing. So she's good in that. I think she is opposite of how she is in... in it shows her range a little bit because it's kind of opposite of how she was in Beethoven. She's definitely a lot less accepting in this role, but she does a good job. I think I think it, the role continues to show that in everything that she does, she is the like the kind of the voice of reason, kind of the grounding force. Like she's the one who sees through him that whole time, and I think that is why I enjoyed that movie so much. Is it is very unique. It's a unique way to tell a love story. Ninety seven. She crosses over with Sam Rockwell in Subway Stories, Tales from the Underground. I did watch it. It's like a 20-minute short, uh, her segment. And she leans into her very white blonde hairness to basically play like, a prejudicial Karen who is afraid of every person of color on the subway mm. and then gets locked into the subway because she's an asshole. So that was kind of satisfying to watch if you hate white Karens. <laughs> so check that out if you get a chance. <laughs> um, and then 98 she does her first Pixar role one of many as the spider Rosie in A Bug's Life were you a Bug's Life or an Ants person? Bug's Life Bugs, Bug's Life Bug's yeah, Life yeah. It, it is good I, but I feel like Ants got hated on too much I it enjoyed did. Ants for me it's really just the animation yeah, of exactly. Ants is garbage 
this movie Couldn't was the, the start of her being the female John Ratzenberger in yep. uh, Pixar. Exactly. Except for one role, which we'll talk about, which she had a, a little bit more prominent. But yeah, she's supporting all the way with all most of her Pixar stuff. 99, she's in Random Hearts alongside Harry Ford as Wendy. And also in The Green Mile is Jan, another stabilizing force for Tom Hanks' character. With our boy uh, Rockwell. That's right. Mm-hmm. What's the fucking cornbread? I rewatched. I didn't watch. I didn't finish the whole Green Mile because it's three hours and ten minutes, ten. basically. Yes, it is. That's unbelievable. Like you said, Kyle, it's it's a very it's a very depressing movie, but she's a stabilizing force in the movie that playing a role that she's become accustomed to. I think at this point in, in her career, I forgot how much dust is in your eye when you watch that for like oh yeah fifteen straight minutes, and it's like oh yep. fuck oh man. And it said she gained uh, 15 pounds to play the role. Oh. Good that she did a little bit of the, that transformation. Is that hard? Because I feel like I could do that in like a weekend. <laughs> I'd do that by the end of the pod. James, for sure. We'd spend a weekend at Purdue for like a game. That's yeah, and it's just like fat boys and yeah, come back, zoo, yeah, come back looking like James Harden. Baltimore zoos and uh, fat boys. <laughs> exactly, dude. Why would they ask her to gain 15 pounds for that role? They need like a plumper wife for Tom Hanks. Yeah, and then and then this one is the first time she's had an intimate scene, you know, and it was off oh. camera, but she still had to do the audio, and that's still pretty challenging as an actress. Even though it's Tom Hanks, he makes it easy, right? Oh, I you don't know. <laughs> again, she's just up against Titans here and holding her own. Just a yeah. casual sex oh, scene wow. with Tom Hanks. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so two thousand break of the year remember the willennium is upon us and she directs her first picture as megan in return to me also the screenwriter so something pretty important to her she pulled some big time actors for this movie especially the older guys in there she pulled robert loggia archie bunker it was his last film oh wow took him a while to agree to do it i noticed like ratings wise it's probably in the 50s from critics i loved it it is a romantic comedy. It does have David Duchovny in it, also looking like a snack still. But it's got a great cast. Minnie Driver plays the opposite of him. Jim Belushi is in there. Uh, it's just a solid movie, man. And You can see her comedic writing is on full display, and her character's doing a lot of it. But it's sharp, witty dialogue, and I appreciate the shit out of it. She directed it, too. Yeah. I think she wrote, directed, and acted. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. I don't think enough people have seen it. It's a pretty cool little movie. And watch it just for like Carol O'Connor and Robert Loggia and the older guys because it's very Chicago, right? It's it's mm. about home for her. So if like you look at her career and where she's from and what she cares about, like this movie is very important to her. It's hard to find, but I think of it kind of as her my big fat Greek wedding. But it's her Catholic Irish Chicago mm-hmm. home, you know, family. I thought from what I could see, it was really good. It's on Tubi, if you want to watch it. This kind of reminds me of the Emma Thompson movie mixed a little bit with that uh, Marsden movie that we talked about with the the body part. Uh, Best of me. I I mean, that's mixed with the zookeeper because of the primate cage or whatever. (laughs) This is all I'm getting out of Wikipedia. So (laughs) I don't know any of the dialogue. All I did was look at what the story was and... I did more than half the people here. <laughs> That's true. And I appreciate you looking it up. Yeah, even if you watch the trailer, the trailer's really cute. So, it's an interesting one for our listeners that want to dig more into Bonnie Hunt. Definitely one to check out. So next year, her next 
Pixar project. She's in Monsters, Inc. as Flint. Smaller role. She plays the trainer of the Scare Simulations. The movie's awesome. It is. It's one of the best ones out there. Big agree. Love Monsters, Inc. And then two years later, she plays in a role very similar to Beethoven in Cheaper by the Dozen as Kate alongside Steve Martin. This movie is about the most selfish people in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Not Bonnie Hunt. Bonnie Hunt has been not selfish for the entire entire life leading up to this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, she's had 12 kids. And now she's going to do something and Steve Steve Martin's like, "Oh, I can I can have it all. I can do this and I can do that. You know, we'll be fine. I can, you know, coach a football team and do this." And all the kids are like, "You forgot about me. You know, what about <laughs> me? You forgot about me." You can read reviews and people are like, this is why I don't have kids. <laughs> Birth control on screen. This is why you don't have 12 kids. Way too many children. Yeah, that's way too many kids. The movie's still, it's its fun. It's a lot better than yours, mine, and ours. Accurate. Steve Martin will always be just like, probably like peak com- like dad comedy in a family movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything he does, like it reminds my wife of her dad so much that... You know, she's like, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can watch this anymore. <laughs> it's just kind of like freaking her out. It's still an enjoyable movie, yeah. but it's just. Well, we could goes we could that. we could save the rest of it because you're gonna cover the other one here in a second, so you can you could take us from there. Oh yeah, that too. Then the finally loggerheads. She plays Grace in 2005. This was like one of her more dramatic roles. So up until now, she's been doing so much so much comedy. And then in this one, you know, she's a mom looking for her son that she gave up for adoption. And it had a lot of buzz at Sundance. I think this is where she was, you know, trying to show more range. And that leads into Largest Audience Gap, which is cheaper by the dozen, too. And Warren is going to talk about this uh, sequel with Eugene Levy. Cheaper by the dozen, too. Came out two years after the prequel. And, you know, people have kind of grown up a little bit. Hilary Duff is... Still just, like, annoying and posh. And Piper Perabo plays the oldest daughter who is now severely knocked up, uh, about to about to drop in any minute. And her husband is Aaron Samuels from Mean Girls. And the family is like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to go on a vacation because Steve Martin wants to get the family together for one last, one last ride. You know, and they go to this lake house that they always go up to at Lake Winnetka. And so they get up there and they've got this shitty old house that they always lived, you know, they always went to. And across the lake is the Murtaugh's led by Eugene Levy and his third wife, Carmen Electra. <laughs> and they've got like eight kids, Murtaugh and Baker. Yeah, you know, that's uh, the family last names. The, the fathers were rivals growing up. None of the kids really have a rivalry with their counterparts you know some of them fall in love with their counterpart kid like uh jamie king and the guy who's superman in smallville (laughs) this movie also has a very very young taylor lot might be his first movie and it's probably the best acting he ever does Uh, (laughs) charming little kid i can understand why he uh gets all his roles yeah the movie itself is it's a lot of the same same stuff. It's almost like a little bit of great outdoors mixed with, you know, the first movie, you know, because they're up up at a camp and everything. It's a lot of the same gags and, you know, kids growing up and everything. 
the movie's enjoyable. It's charming. Yeah. It's like an 89-minute movie as well, which is like the sweet spot for these kinds of movies. They don't drag on. The acting's perfectly sufficient. It's just not yours, mine, and ours, which is awesome. That's, yeah, that, that's that movie upgrade. really, really sucks. The only thing about this movie was the fact that they had twins after Steve Martin got a vasectomy and <laughs> didn't didn't know that it took for like four weeks. So that guy has got Olympians T- super down semen. There. Yeah. yeah, she and she has her moments of hilarity. There's at one point, Warren, you'll remember she gets a bunch of like liquid spill all over her shirt. And she goes, oh, it's like spring break. Hope I win the contest. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right. All right it's a bunch of, yeah, that was like the, uh, one of the few jokes where you were like, oh, yeah, sure. And I wouldn't think too much about the movie. It's just, it's an enjoyable movie. She continues to play a lot of these mom roles, but she's never had kids. Right. But coming from a big family with the seven kids, I think she drew on a lot of that, you know, with yeah. her and her mom, and I think it's great. There really aren't many people that you could throw in that role. It's not a big role, but it's somebody who can play well enough off Steve Martin, who's the obvious draw for the movie, but Mm -hmm. still bring enough of a zing to kind of play off of him. So you really have to have a a smart and, and witty female in that role, and I honestly can't think of many people who could who could do that with him. You guys are making great fucking points. That's what we do. Like, this is spot on. Spot on, left and right. All right, well, 2006, I mentioned it earlier, but her biggest Pixar role is in Cars. Like I mentioned, it's her IMDb photo. She plays Sally, who is the love interest of the, the main character. She plays a Porsche. A Porsche. Personally, not my favorite Pixar movie, but I, I don't know how it stacks up ratings-wise comparatively to the others. I think Cars gets hated on a little too much because it gets compared to like the greatest animated movies of all time that also happen to be from Pixar. Like Toy Story and all that right, shit. Right, exactly. And I went back and I watched it, and I think the reason why it doesn't get grouped up there is because it's definitely just tailored more f- for children where those movies had like adult themes where the adults can enjoy it. This one's mostly for younger kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it doesn't have like the same heart as those other movies. The first one's still visually stunning and it's a good movie for little kids. It's not like Shrek where they would sneak in, you know, adult jokes. Owen Wilson's not a great voice. Yeah, um, maybe that's what it is. It, and Larry the Cable Guy. And, and Larry, the, Larry the Cable Guy, yeah. And Mater. But, and I think the, the biggest connection that they really had with like an older crowd was having, you know, wasn't this one of uh, Paul Newman's last movies? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Yep. I think it was his last. That was their, you know, draw to the older crowd. But I mean, as as a person, I just I don't really care. Like, I'm for not cars. like a, a gearhead, yeah. and yep. like, you know, so th- there was never that draw for me. And there's there is some humor here and there, but I think you're pointing out like the fundamental flaw with cars, and that you kind of have to be into cars if you're not a kid to really care about it. Yeah. And I just. We have little kids around our neighborhood who still like they've got Lightning McQueen like backpacks and everything. Mm, and I'm like, yeah, it's like Jesus, kid, like pick a better movie. It's two hours long, and that's that's way too much for an animated movie. That's a long Pixar movie. You know who could really have helped this movie was uh, Dom Toretto. <laughs> <laughs> Just all he had to do was dr- learn how to drift. Like, give, me, <laughs> give me a fucking break, Mater. It's about family. 
<laughs> what are you talking about now? Think about all of her voice work. This is the one I remember her for the most. I do, personally. Think of her as Sally. And I have to say, you know, again, I'll give you the female perspective. Like, my daughters, my oldest one walked by when I was watching it for the show. I just watched it again. And she's like, Sally? She's like, <laughs> she's awesome. And she's like, she's very powerful and strong, you know, female character. She kind of puts him in his place. Mm-hmm. She's like, I love that scene where they're driving off together into the beautiful scenic environment. So my girls actually really love Cars. And mm-hmm. this is the role I think of her the most in. I think her acting style played into her voice work because she plays kind of like the straight man, even in her voice work. Well, in 2006, big life event happens to her too. She gets divorced in 06, and and I I notice a trend because if we we're going to cover the rest of her career, and we're going to talk about the fact that she's not taken on a ton of roles, especially like Hollywood types of roles. Like the next one we're going to talk about is filmed in Chicago. I think mm-hmm. post divorce, and I can't I haven't seen an interview to verify this, but I have a feeling after getting divorced and starting to do Pixar films, she's like. I don't need to travel and do all the that Hollywood stuff. I can I can still be pretty busy, do voice work, a few projects here and there, and have a successful career. Like I don't know if anybody saw anything specific, quote wise, but my guess is life change in 06 precipitated that quite a bit. But it could be just my guess. Did you cash a if you have a certain level of income and then you get cars <laughs> money? Yeah, that's true. Like, be like, why don't I just do this forever? Because now I have five mansions. We're going to talk about it too. I mean, she's starting. She's got the Bonnie Hunt show from 08 to 2010, 251 episodes over that time. So yeah. that's keeping her busy, right? Like that's the, the talk show life in the 2000s is what's keeping her busy. So that makes sense why you're not seeing a ton of film stuff. But there is a film in 2006 that is close to home in Chicago by Jeff Garland called I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With, which is one of the more random movie titles we've seen in a while. And it is our largest critic gap, and Case is going to talk about it. I've heard of a lot of movies, but I have never heard of this movie. And, uh, and I'm a Jeff Garland fan, so it, I was intrigued when, uh, when I got assigned this movie. But I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With is a uh, 2006 indie romantic comedy written, produced, and directed by Jeff Garland. He also stars in it, and it also stars Sarah Silverman, and the topic of tonight's discussion, Bonnie Hunt. It also stars many veterans of Chicago's second city, and it also stars a lot of other notable actors from Chicago. The movie follows improv actor Jeff Garland. It's one of those movies where Jeff Garland loses his girlfriend, he loses his job, he loses his agent, who is his ex-girlfriend's brother. Everything's going wrong for this guy. And he's really playing the lovable loser character who really isn't all that lovable. So Garland's character is named James. James. Great name. He's asked to speak at his friend's daughter's class. So Garland goes on and he's talking to the class about being an improv actor and inadvertently blurts out that he needs to get laid. (laughs) None of the kids are listening, but yet he like clumsily tries to like explain what getting laid means to a bunch of elementary school kids. They're not listening and they don't care. (laughs) After everybody leaves... He talks to the teacher, who is played by Bonnie Hunt. He's basically trying to explain to her and, and, and like apologize. And she's like, look, it's no big deal. So he goes to get ice cream. 
where he meets Beth, played by Sarah Silverman. James is is caught off guard and he's shocked when Beth ambiguously, I don't know, Kyle, what did you think? Was that a pretty overt or was it pretty ambiguous when she hits on him? It felt overt. Yeah, it was overt. It looked like she was into him. Her advances went went out and she eventually seduces James and, and they sleep together. And then this is actually one of the parts of this movie that I loved because uh, Silverman's character is clearly out of James's league. I mean, it's clear in every aspect, right? But usually this female character is, is conflicted because... It's like Hitch, right? Like the attractive girl goes for the uh, the like overweight guy. It's a great movie to, sim- to have similarities to. And, and so like, I'm just like, oh, come on. And then he brings flowers over to, to uh, her house and she's like super uncomfortable. And she's like, look, I really, I just, I just slept with you because you're fat. <laughs> she's like, she's like, I just wanted to bang a fat guy. Yeah. And she's like, it was fun. And, and, you know, but it wasn't, it was just a thing. And we're not having anything after that. And I really did not see that coming. <laughs> and while Jeff Garland was clearly being self-deprecating during this whole movie, this, this was a really brilliant <laughs> twist to the normal tropes that rom-coms fall into. As far as Bonnie Hutt goes, you know, she's got three scenes really in this movie. She's in three. Two of them are are in the classroom as the teacher. And then another one is where she actually has a run-in with Jeff Garland at a a record shop. And they kind of talk and flirt in there. And they're both very, very clumsy. Bonnie Hutt does a really good job as the socially and sexually flustered elementary school teacher who's clearly into Garland but can't take any action on it. Nor can he take any action on his attraction to her either. She's only in about 20 minutes, like I said, three scenes, but I did like the part she was in and her chemistry with Garland was really good. My biggest knock on this movie is that it it really just felt like a more like a TV show that was worked into a film format. This would have been a much better project as a limited run TV series on Netflix or Amazon or, or whatever your streaming service is. Because there's a lot of really cool characters in this movie that we get to see for like three minutes and then we move on. I thought this this movie had a much more of a feeling of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode than it did of a Jeff Garland movie. Critics gave it a 73 and the fans are at 38. I get why both of them are there. I don't know that I'd watch it again, but I certainly didn't mind watching it. And I would recommend anybody who's a fan of anybody I brought up to uh to check it out it, it's definitely worth a watch cool all right over the next eight years first thing i'll note she was in the allison stoner project allison stoner is like the skater chick from the cheaper by the dozen movies and so that's the tie there she went off to do some of her own things in acting and bonnie was supporting her on her own project so that's cool you know she's well established didn't have to do that but trying to support another actor who's trying to figure some stuff out and then in 2010, another Pixar movie, a, a new Pixar role for her. She plays Dolly in Toy Story 3, the original toy for the, the little girl next door, the neighbor, uh, who ends up ad- adopting all the toys at the end of the movie. Toy Story 3 is awesome. Almost tragic, and then turns into joy and jubilee. Mm-hmm. Toy Story 3 is like one of the saddest scenes I've ever seen in any movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was meant for children. It was very adult. It is. And then to wrap things up over the next couple of years... Just a couple more Pixar roles, Cars 2, Monsters University. So sticking with her same characters, staying busy, doing her thing. Monsters U is great, too. Mm-hmm. The college fraternity world of, of Monsters, Inc. That takes us to Zootopia. 
her highest critic score in 2016. And Laura, as our guest, will talk about that. So if you're a first-time listener, our guest Munson's end up taking whoever or whatever film I would review. And so in this case, it was highest critic score. So Laura lucked out. Whoever joins us next week gets the lowest critic score. So Sam, I'm sorry ahead of time if you're listening. <laughs> Brutal. Because you're going to get that stinker for whoever it is. But Laura gets to talk about Zootopia. I was sitting down to watch this. I had like my comfy blanket and my daughter walks by and she goes, Zootopia. And she goes, oh, enjoy your discrimination cartoon. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like what? Pretty accurate. It's almost spot on. (laughs) But she was pretty right. Yeah, she nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) It scored 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. It made over 1 billion. It won an Academy Award, Golden Award, Critics' Choice Award, Kids' Choice Award, Producer Award, and Guild Award for Best Animated Feature Film. Wait, wait, wait. Zootopia made a billion dollars? Yeah, over a billion. fuck. I did not know that. Yeah, and Jason Bateman and Jennifer Goodman. Bonnie Hunt plays the mom to Judy Hopps. Judy Hopps is this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, naive girl who really wants to, you know, become a police officer. It's it's her dream, and um, her parents are very nice, but they're also very um, realistic. And her um, dad is played by Bonnie Hunt's writing partner. And they've worked together a lot on the Body Bonnie Hunt show, and that flowed pretty well when they were doing those scenes. But basically, in the movie, you know, she's trains to become a police officer. She's struggling uh, with that, and I thought that was a kind of interesting scene too, because they had the police academy trainer was a female polar bear. So I thought that was a, a good, like, a little twist on casting. And everybody's kind of telling her, you're never going to make it, give up, you know. But she sticks with it. She's very determined. And then she becomes the first bunny police officer. She wants to take the biggest case on right away, but they put her as a meter maid. And that's where you see um, some of Bonnie Hunt's classic lines again. They're, you know, they're like, oh, sweet heavens, are you a meter maid? And they're like, it's the safest job on the force, thank God. Mm Mm-hmm. And they also say, like, we're excited, but we're also terrified for you. And they give her fox repellent. And then she meets this con guy, played by Jason Bateman. And actually, they based this fox off of the old Disney movie in the 70s, Robin Hood. So they based the look of him off of that. So he's this total, like, sleazeball con artist because he's lived kind of a hard life. And then they have flashbacks to where he was muzzled as a kid, you know, when he was trying to get into the Boy Scouts. But later they end up pairing up and trying to solve the case. She's very clever, you know, trying to help figure it out. I think one of the scenes, if you've seen this, that you remember the most, it's at the DMV where they're in a hurry. (laughs) Sloths are working the counter. And he asks a joke, what do you call the three-hump camel? And a flash... Um, the fastest sloth, you know, his face very slowly morphs into the, like you can see uh. processing, processing, <laughs> processing. And there were a lot of good twists and turns with the plot. The people you thought who, you know, were the good guys were sometimes the bad guys and vice versa. It was a lot of prey versus predator. There was a lot of fear. Two of the villains at the end were based on uh, Breaking Bad, the guys in the train. Overall, it was a good film. I mean, I probably give it a B minus. 
I've seen it twice. You know, it's not my favorite animation, but it did great at the box office and it, it had some good music and overall it was a, it was a, it was a good message. Your daughter's spot on. It's, it's just a story about race and difference at the end of the day. That's at least my take. When you mentioned that, I was like, wow, that is actually nailing the plot summary very quickly. <laughs> That's why I laughed so heavily. What else do you guys have to say about it? I was blown away when you told me it made a billion dollars. I was like, I know this movie's good and I've only seen parts of it, but a billion dollars? I was like, damn, I missed out on a stud here. But I still think it was a good film. I don't think it was Bonnie's best role only because it was such a small role you know it was the mom worrying about her daughter and but it wasn't a very big role thanks laura sure all right rounding us out on the film side a couple more pixar roles she's in cars 3 toy story 4 and then most recently from a film standpoint the ultimate playlist of noise she has one very short scene as dr lubinsky a couple Areas we'll hit before we wrap up. We'll talk a little bit about her recurring TV characters. When you look at her career, like I said, 56 credits, she's only done a few brief TV appearances, but when she's done TV, she's done more recurring roles. And so she was in Grand as Carol in 1990. She played herself, Bonnie, in Bonnie from 95 to 96, kind of the first sitcom around her and kind of this fake persona she had built on on television. And First of a couple. I mean, she had Life with Bonnie from 2002 to 2004, 41 episodes that she wrote and directed. And she played Bonnie slash Marge in that. And also the Bonnie Hunt Show, as we mentioned earlier, from 2008 to 2010, 251 episodes. So definitely a vet on the sitcom side and the interview side. When you watch Bonnie Hunt on that show, you wonder why more talk show hosts don't have the type of improv background she has it serves her so well when having open and genuine conversations with people in an interview i saw of her it sounds like she's trying to have another show and she's got some opportunities yeah and it wasn't even just the guests it was like audience members you know Mm -hmm. she would just say run a mic out to that guy you know and she'd ask him about his outfit or about why the wife nudged him you know while he was talking like it just seemed like a natural very observant, very go with the flow, take the verbal cues and kind of roll with it. I mean, that's improv on a one, right? Yes, and. We keep going. Yes, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense that she can do it in a show. Is She comes across very genuine, and she seems like she's being authentic on screen. And it's, she's probably like that in real life. So she was in Sophia the First as Aunt Tilly for five years, 2013 to 2018. And then Escape at Danamora, she played Catherine, 2018, most recently. And Sophia the First, oh my God, my kids watch that nonstop. So <laughs> I've seen like every episode. <laughs> it's where she did have a bigger part where she played kind of the quirky aunt who just would like run off and start sword fighting people and going on quests. And I think that was a bigger role for her. Escape at Danamora, she plays the state inspector general who... She is like unrelenting in this role because it's her job to lead the investigation into what happened at the prison break. Some of the scenes where she's interviewing Tilly, Patricia Arquette's character, are awesome. Mm -hmm. One thing I learned about it is that they wrote the show based on the report that that character released as like the inspector general. Great story. It's on Showtime if you haven't seen it. It's a great series. I recommend it for sure. Yeah, two things that stood out to me from that series was Patricia Arquette was incredible. Mm -hmm. Almost unrecognizable as an actress. And 
when it first came out, I was shocked. This was directed by Ben Stiller. Mm -hmm. And as I was watching some interviews of Bonnie Hunt and as it related to this show, she said one of the things that helped her the most in her performance of this was that her and Ben Stiller shared both comedy and kind of improv backgrounds and they could really kind of read each other and play off of each other. And, and he gave her a lot of room to do what she wanted. I, I always think it would be hard to play somebody who's alive, like a real character who's still living. For sure. Right. And she apparently nailed it. I think from that same interview, Ben Stiller called her and asked her to play the role directly. So it wasn't like she had to do any auditions. It was, are you free? Because I think you'd be great at this. So yeah. it's a testament to her where she is in her career in 2018 at that point. That rounds us out. That's that's all the big ones in film and television. So Rigby maybe dug up some top performances for us. Let's see what he's got. I wasn't able to find a definitive list that ranked her performances. So what we're going to do is I found just a list from the Firewall, which is a YouTube channel that comes out with top 10 movie roles for different actors. They do like a different one every week. And they did a Bonnie Hunt one back in 2018 so and this is only films i'll say that it includes animated films and also live action movies this is just her films not specifically her performances so use that accordingly as you will who wants to start with the top 10 bonnie hunt movies jerry Maguire. jerry Maguire is number seven according to the firewall green mile beethoven one beethoven is not on here james unfortunately throw this list out the window (laughs) didn't win (laughs) zootopia did you say green mile craig yeah i did yeah, that's number two. Nice job. Uh, Zootopia is number four. Jumanji. Jumanji. Jumanji is number nine. Cheaper by the Does? Nope. No. I'll mention this. This includes her roles from huge roles like Second Build to very, 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 very minor. Just think of any movie that she's been in. Rain Man. I'm going to say Dave. Rain Man is number five. Dave is not on here and it should be. I'm wow. disappointed by that. I know. Rain Man's number five though. So Give me Return to Me. Uh, yeah, nice job. Number eight, Kyle. Love it. Cars? cars cars is not on here oh interesting cars too <laughs> beethoven too <laughs> nope. it was terrible the first one but the second one really eating cheese with people nope loggerheads nope toy story 4 <laughs> nope random hearts dude no just just Fun's tell me the answers okay so you guys are missing two huge animated movies uh the original and the sequel Oh. I don't think you've said it. Monsters, Inc. and Monsters, yep. U? Yep. Monsters, Inc. is number three, and Monsters, U. is number six. So now we're missing ten and one, so top and bottom. How are we missing one? Because <laughs> I don't think anybody said it. I don't, Only oh, you? Man. Think. Nope. Oh, man. What are we missing? Did we not talk about them? Random Hearts? Nope. Kissing a Fool? Nope. Okay, so number ten is Hurricane Season. Oh. Oh, yeah. I thought Hurricane Season was over. <laughs> it's like her only sports movie, I guess. Don't give us number okay. one. We got it. Okay. If we can't come over there, number one. I'm... Did we talk about Hurricane Season? No, we didn't. Number one. We're missing number one. Getting away with murder. No, nope. I don't think you mentioned it. I really don't. Yeah, uh, we didn't we... talk about that one. If what we did, it? I'm going to be upset with you. Ready? What is it? Say it. Toy Story Three. Uh, uh, I don't know. Talk... I don't know if we, we said it. About... Yeah, we I don't know if I anyone said story. it here. <laughs> I'm saying we I don't think anybody I don't think I missed no. somebody saying no, that. I, don't I know we, ta- we talked about it yeah but the Toy Story that movie does rock Toy Story 3 number one Bonnie Hunt film I don't know about that but yeah I mean she's a side character but it's a good movie we had slim pickings so and to make it work if I had to go with a movie where she probably had the where she had the biggest role I would say probably The Green Mile or Jerry Maguire Jerry Maguire but Jumanji that's just me too. 
I mean, she's pretty big in Jumanji as well. Mm-hmm. For awards, she was nominated for the Jeff Award at Second City. And then in 2002, 2003, she was nominated for Golden Globes for Best Actress. 2003, she was also nominated for an Emmy Award. And then she has a lot of th- philanthropic endeavors. So she did a Make-A-Wish 40 for 40, you know, for Chicago for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. She supports uh, the Melanoma Research Foundation, Israel Cancer Research Fund. She's supported the Chicago Library. Laura, you are doing a sales job on me. <laughs> My score is changing as you speak. <laughs> and she's a big supporter of nurses and healthcare workers because she was a nurse. Yeah. I like to think about all that, too. And she brings a lot of productions back to Chicago. Months and meter time, how this works, we rank every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on different factors that we appreciate or not. Those could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, if they have any other talents, what their personal life is like, their comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that really matters to us. So I'll jump in first this week. Reviewing Bonnie Hunt's interesting because I think number one, Someone made the joke about it earlier. I think a lot of times she gets overshadowed by the probably more famous Helen Hunt. Yep. I thought they were sisters. White blonde women who are in a lot of like big budget movies. I think that plays a role into who Bonnie Hunt is and probably why she isn't as popular as she should be to a lot of folks. But outside of that, established voice actor, even though they're smaller roles, she's established herself in that world and gets aspect constantly. So whatever the next Pixar movie is after Soul, I'm sure she'll probably be a part of it. Interviewing, writing, directing, acting. She's done most of the things similar to our conversation about Chris Rock. What I love about Bonnie Hunt is her improv background and how she infuses that in everything that she does, whether it's writing, acting, or just riffing with folks on interviews. They're very seldom of the actors we've covered. You're going to find a more entertaining interview with somebody who can just go off the cuff. And I was really impressed by her writing in the movie Return to Me, which I talked a little bit about earlier. Respect her sports fandom. She's obviously very philanthropic. I mean, she'll take a hit for me in pop culture, some range, because I, I just don't know if we've seen enough of her improv and her comedy and her range to be able to say that, you know, she's going to be in the upper tier of actors, but she found her pocket and she stuck in there. And, you know, I got to give her credit for that. And she just seems like a delightful human who's very self-deprecating. And I appreciate that. So I am going to give Bonnie a 71. Laura. Now you got to remember too, that I'm from Chicago, <laughs> you know, so I, I, I have to give her the, the Chicago love. We give people boosts for birthdays here. You can <laughs> <whatever> you want. <laughs> you know. We took away points for someone who was from a town, a in a fictional movie that shared with a <laughs> shitty politician. So oh, yeah. you can do whatever you want. Here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say, and I feel like she's very self-driven, self-made. I feel like, you know, she wrote a lot of her own stuff. She produced a lot of her own stuff. She directed a lot of her own stuff. The fact that she could do, be a talk show host and then all of a sudden flip and do voice acting. And then all of a sudden flip and, and have a sex scene with Tom Hanks you know, and do all this stuff. Feel like longevity, I rated her pretty high. Consistency, you know, I feel like she's always a professional. You're going to get, you know, really good results from hiring her. Pop culture, I rated higher because of the Disney roles only. 
on that piece, you know, she might be a little bit higher because of that. Her range, that's the one I struggled with again, because I just feel like she's got this great comedic range and then she has some dramatic roles, but I don't really see her like losing herself in the character like Merle Streep. I mean, she does seem very natural. She seems very down to earth and like believable, but I don't see like, wow, that was a completely different character than you played over here. And I think, again, she could have the range, but it might be just what she's getting cast for. Mm-hmm. You know, with all that, I would put her probably right near you, Kyle, 71. Oh, on the button. Right on the dot. Let's see if uh, Warren stays consistent. <laughs> Warren's not staying consistent. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah, wah. She's a super nice person. I get it. I like movies always need a character like the ones that she's in always need a character like her. Yeah. And she is clearly a like comedian first, and like that is always her her role that she's bringing to the movies. At least. Any of the ones that I saw, she's she's got the quick humor. It's you know dry humor, but like it, it makes you laugh. Me personally, like I watched the interviews that you guys passed around. I didn't laugh at a single one of them. It's not because she's not funny. It, it's just that like she reminds me of so many of my friends' moms from back home. <laughs> That, like, I was like, oh, I grew up around women like her. Triggering. <laughs> the range isn't there. The pop culture impact. Like, yeah, I get she was in. I honestly had no idea she was in that many Pixar movies because her voice is it's just kind of it sits in with everything else. Really, what I look at most at this point is like looking at how I've rated other actors to this point mm-hmm. of our list. Another actor who I think could do and has done pretty similar roles to her is actually it's Maya Rudolph. It's a comedy background. It's the like quick witted, you know, kind of grounding force, like the more kind of a little bit maternal in some movies and things like that. But I, I enjoy my Rudolph more. I think she's, I think she's funnier to my sense of humor and she shows a little bit more range than Bonnie hunt does. Uh, granted she's not in as good of movies as Bonnie hunt, but she's more memorable. Mm-hmm. And therefore I'm going to put her one below my Rudolph. <laughs> That's a 55. I respect it. James. Dude, we're going to have some wild scores here. I legit thought I was going to be near the lower end of this, but now I realize I'm going to be uh, near the higher end. I came in pretty skeptical when the wheel landed on her. Her, I only knew her from a few roles, and I was always like, oh, that's the funny woman from that movie that I like. Oh, Jerry Maguire. And it wasn't until I started looking at kind of her hit list here that these are all bangers of movies, man. Like, mm-hmm. I was impressed. And so when Kay shared with us her box office stats, I was blown away because it makes sense when you look at this list. I bumped her up a little bit more for pop culture impact for the same reason that you did Laura I didn't realize she was in this many great movies and so maybe not name recognition maybe not the leading lady but definitely getting it done on the scoreboard what I like about her is she comes across very authentic I think she's funny I've enjoyed her in everything she's done and so I gave her a 74 Rigby James you hit on a lot of my points too I was kind of skeptical but then you realize that she found her forte in these roles but also also displayed some, a little bit of range. So, Warren, I'm going to respectfully have to disagree with you there, although I know you're you're holding strong to your uh, your viewpoints. <laughs> My score could keep going lower. Like, I, I, listen, <laughs> I listen to more things y'all do, and I just, 
like we've, we've I, I had don't know. numbers like, change. Yeah, she's lower. in bangers, but they're not bangers because of her. Like I could be in the background of a movie, and I'm not going to call it good because I'm in it. We don't negotiate with terrorists. We're going to stick to your <laughs> score. That's fair. <laughs> One thing I will say about her: uh, her score would probably be higher if I watched a lot of animated movies, which, as you guys know, I kind of abstain from because that's what she's made the latter part of her career out of. It seems like I think she's funny. Uh, I think she's sweet. I think she's charming and very real which i respect in hollywood today so all that said i'm gonna give her a 73 my grandma's sweet and charming <laughs> great actor too phenomenal actor i'd give your grandma a 73 also case round us out <laughs> yeah i'm really conflicted about hunt's career as we compare her compared to the rest of the performers we've looked at on the podcast most of her work isn't on my radar i didn't know, even know there was a cheaper by the dozen two and I, I was barely aware of the first one. I also don't watch a lot of animated movies. And that's where our bulk of her career success has been. I do think one of her greatest strengths are best served in TV and talk shows as you get to see her more often and, and get connected with her as a person and her and the characters more than you do in movies. Someone who looks at the numbers every episode about box office popularity, critic and fan rankings, I have to respect the insane career she's put together. Again, though, not being a massive fan of the movies she's in, it's really tough for me to really get into her career. But being able to listen to you guys talk about her and, and learn some new things about her in my research, I think I've been able to bridge that gap a little bit. Combine all that with everything that's already been said, I'm going to give her a 67. All right. What's our average one? I put Bonnie Hunt at a 68.5, which is 25th, and has her between Rebecca Hall and Gary Cole. Does it feel fair? Ooh. I think that feels fair. I trying to think of the closest in my eyes, the closest person who she would match to, and it would it would have been Gary Cole. So I think that's right. Y'all are welcome. <laughs> Without me, she's ahead of Joseph Gordon Levitt and some other people. So Oh, thank you for your service, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a realist here. As I was getting ready to score her, I was comparing her against my Rudolph as well. Yeah, because you're a smart person. Laura, you you seem to have a a brand here. Warren, what does she got coming? She's got the TV series Monsters at Work, which is monsters. It's the Monsters universe. It's oh. the MCU for monsters. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a spinoff? I actually have no fucking clue. Uh, I'll watch it though because the Monsters universe is great. Kick ass, hundred percent. I'm in. Oh, she's in that great movie that you love. That sucks. Sucks she's in those great movies. She's in that awesome movie that I couldn't point out the character until someone <laughs> described what she was. It's, and I was like, it's oh, true, yeah, though. this movie's great because of her. No, it's not. No, it's great because no. of Billy Crystal and John Goodman. Scores are subjective. I just don't want you to think you're a martyr for giving a low <laughs> score. <laughs> I think Warren's a modern day Gandhi for that score. That was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive. <laughs> You guys are dicks. If you guys want to bring the gas, I'll do a little self-immolation right now. Just prove how awesome I am. I think she needs a better PR person. That's what I'm coming to the conclusion of. There you go. A better publicist. And get her yeah. going here. Get Helen Hunt's publicist. You can start the, the Hunt sisters. It'll be fun. I also wouldn't be surprised if we see a talk show from her in the future. She said the opportunities are there. She's just like, yep. got to figure out the right time. She's d done some good work there. So I'd watch. I yep. didn't watch before, but I'd watch now. Yep. Now that I know a little bit about her. Five actors we're throwing under the wheel for next episode. They are Goldie Hawn, Dakota Fanning, Angelina Jolie, Russell Crowe, and Cameron Diaz. 
Diaz, is it? Diaz? Nice. Diaz. Blue screen. <laughs> nice. Guy. Anyways, those are the five actors. What do we love? What do we hate? I'm good for anything but Dakota Fanning. Yeah. I don't really know anything of Goldie Hawn. You know more than you think. She's like, I know yeah. of her, but like You're, I can't yeah. pick a role. Death becomes her. Your wife's probably seen every movie of hers. Yeah, yeah no honestly. Yeah. You're, you're probably <laughs> <right>. <laughs> I'm hoping we avoid Dakota Fanning. I mean, Russell Crowe would be awesome. Obviously, he's been in great movies, but he also just has a wild career and personal life. He also got super fat and super in super bad movies. Mm-hmm. He took like the Val Kilmer route a little bit. And he's hilarious in uh, South Park. <laughs> Fight around the world. Me and my pal Tugger here. Tugger here. And the nice guys, right? I love the nice guys. Yep. We get to watch I mean, LA Confidential too, which, which is one of my favorites. This is a really good wheel. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah, and Angelina Jolie, yeah. you know, coming from an acting family, too. I'd be curious. Oh, that's true. Yeah, an acting family with John Voight. Like, mm-hmm. that's a crazy family. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and her personal life, too. That's crazy. Oh, yeah. She's nuts, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Cameron Diaz is in some bangers. She's in some good shit over there. Think of all these people. I've seen most of Cameron Diaz's movies, like, of her filmography. I kind of scrolled through them. I was like, I think I've seen, like, 80% of these movies. <laughs> What's the Dakota Fanning hate? Is it, like, child actor shit? Like, I don't know. I haven't seen anything from her in a while. I liked her. I only saw her in movies when she was like eight years old. But she was great in Man on Fire. She was annoying as shit in War of the Worlds. <laughs> oh, that's right. With with Cruz. Uh, none of us decide. Laura doesn't decide. Sam doesn't decide. The wheel decides and we'll just see what happens. I went for one to whisper something. <laughs> I did. I said I said Sam decided. <laughs> <laughs> the wheel wasn't right the first time, so they picked a new wheel. <laughs> Collusion! All right. Well, Laura, it's been fantastic. We always appreciate you because you bring fantastic perspective as our actor stunt woman. Any outgoing plugs or words of wisdom for our audience? Again, I just really love joining you guys and doing this. It's so much fun. It's interesting to see, To I listen to the other podcasts to see how you rate people. So I think it's a great podcast and a lot of fun to be on. So thank you. We love having you on. No, thank, thank you. you. Pleasure, You're awesome. pleasure yeah. as always. Well, Laura, f- for talking about a Chicago actor like Bonnie Hunt, I think it would have been hard to do this without someone like you who's got the local knowledge. Yeah, so absolutely. It, it, that adds a whole new element to it. So we appreciate you coming on and picking Bonnie. We'll see you at Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Bring me back for Bill. That'd be awesome. Uh, Bill Murray or uh, Chris Farley or any one of those. Uh, yeah, Dan Aykroyd, one of those guys. Second City Troop. Definitely Chris Farley because uh, that was one of the movies I was in was with this, his brother. So definitely bring me back for that. The wheel will be heavily weighted to that if that is the case. <laughs> yes, it will be. Oh, weird. It's all the actors that uh, Laura works with. <laughs> I'll just be your resident Chicago expert. Yeah, that We're works. Gonna- We'll call it the Laura's <laughs> Choice. It'll be five actors you've worked with at some point in time. You just <laughs> yeah, decide. Yeah. All right, next podcast hits on May 20th. Our guest is Sam Phillips, one of Warren's buddies who is a big movie fan. Anything you want to say about Sam? I've known Sam since the third grade, so we go back a long time. Sam loves real, he loves shitty movies, and he loves Marvel, <laughs> so Rigby, get fucked. That a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I like shitty movies. I just don't like Marvel, so at least I got one of the two. He's pretty unfiltered, and he'll probably say, something that we're gonna be like ooh, gotta cut gonna, that. no just like it's it's gonna catch it catches us all off guard <laughs> it catches me off guard with funny shit all the time and it's it's great love sam that aligns well 
because I was texting him and told him, I was like, well, we, you're going to get lowest critic score. Are you cool with that? He's like, I'd probably seen worse for fun. So I said, okay, <laughs> we're good then. So I said, all right, we're good then. Let's have a good time, Sam. So we'll have Sam on next time. It'll be a good, good dynamic. He'll be a first-time guest. We'll make magic. As always, you can find us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can hit us up on the IG at Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Munson's? Whoa! I have been over 2,000 hours in therapy convincing myself that this exists. See what happened to you was so awful. Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we?